0: What I was going to say during announcements, and then I saw my son out there, and I thought, I better not say it, was that, you know, school comes around, and, and Donna uh, and I were talking last week, because Donna retired this year, if you don't know that. So, she, we go, Did it. has it hit you yet? And she goes, oh, it won't hit me until, like, October or November. Um, but I said, you know, last year at this time, we were like, man, I can't believe school. I mean, it starts so early, you know, because growing up, we got three months of summer. We got out at the end of May, and we didn't go back until after September, you know, September holiday. Um, but as parents, last year, we were like, man, this starts so early because Brandon's going to Sundale. They start a week early. And, and this year, we're just like, oh, we can't wait. Oh, good, it's starting. Yes, as parents. So, uh, no, it was fun having them home, but it was hard to get our work done. I tell you, uh, this past week, I'm have uh, starting to get up early now because Grayson's sleeping, so I can finally get up at like 5.30 in the morning instead of, you know, just trying to wake up and get out of bed with him staying up all night, and stuff like that. It's starting to get more done, especially with Brandon going back to school. So that's a good thing for, for parents. Well, let's get into Romans 10 this morning. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes." Moses writes about this righteousness, that it is by the law. The person who does not do these things will live by them, or does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is, by, that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the Scriptures say, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. The Apostle Paul has been teaching and and speaking really to his own people, the Jews, as we've talked about the last uh, couple of weeks, in 9, 10, and chapter 11, in regards to Christ and who he is and how he relates to them. Last week, we talked about the sovereignty of God. The, you know, he has a right to choose. He is God. He has the right to make those choices. And we kind of related it to a parent, but it's much more than that. You know, a parent has a right to tell the child, no, you're doing this, or no, we're as a family, we're going to go here, or we're going to do that. They're the parent. They're in charge. Well, God is much more than that. God is the creator of it all. So he has that choice. Paul tells them, hey, God cho- chose Abraham, and they all went, yeah, yeah we, you know, the Jews would be going, yeah, we totally preach it, brother, you know, come on, you know, we can hear that ever so often in here, okay, you, it's okay to say something like that, you know, and then, then he said, well, well, God chose Isaac, and they all nodded again, and they're like, yeah, you know, right there, you're, I agree with you, and then he said, and God chose Jacob, and they said, Paul, you're, you're right, we are the sons of Israel, we, we are, just, it goes all the way back there, Paul goes on and, and says that God chose Moses over Pharaoh, and he talks about the whole story of, of Exodus. But then, the sovereign God, and we can all agree that he is sovereign God, he has the right to choose who he wants to choose. And they all said, yes, you're right. So Paul goes, okay, well, he also you know, chose the Gentiles to be saved. This, was <laughs> this is where he lost him. They were really happy until Paul brought this up and brings this up. He chose the Gentiles. It was his plan all along to fulfill to the world, to bring people to him. That was his plan. He shows them with Scripture that this was his plan to save non-Jewish people. Then in chapter 10, adding insult to injury, not only that, Jews have to be saved just as the Gentiles have to be saved. I tell you, there were some heart attacks going on. I mean, they were having to bring in the the donkey ambulances, going to the local clinic. Okay, I thought that would get at least a laugh. I don't know. Donkey. Okay, anyway. You know, but Jews are in need of salvation. The Jews back then, and many Jews today, I tell you, could not fathom this idea. They could not understand this. The Jews are in need of salvation, they're in need of saving. I mean, they've been raised to believe that they are the chosen people already. They're saved because they are the sons of Abraham. And Paul tells them in Romans 10, I'm not saying this so you can feel bad about yourself. I'm saying this because my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites, is that they may be saved. Wow. Now, the word saved is, you know, the biblical writer's way of describing in one word what Jesus does, Jesus saves. Now this is a very you know American phrase. If we want to put it, it's an America you know, Americana now. You know, you go to any football game and you you have the guy going John three sixteen and another guy going Jesus saves. You know, and we, we've all seen it everywhere. But Jesus saves. We see it. The Greek word to, for saves means to rescue to make safe, to make sound, to deliver from harm. This is what Jesus does. He takes us out of harm's way. He takes us out of the messes that we may have gotten ourselves into. Uh, You know, we cry out to the Lord, and what does the Lord do? He saves. He is my deliverer. Without him, we cannot be saved. So when you hear a person say, I am saved, this is exactly what they're talking about. Jesus saves that's what he does So when I'm in the middle of a salva- you know in the middle of a situation that needs saving it's not my job to save myself not my job It's not my job to save my wife and child Hmm It's my job to present the Lord to them But I can't do the saving It's my job to allow the Lord to do the saving and not to be the savior of every situation. You know, as children, I'm trying to teach Brandon. Brandon, um, every time you holler out, we don't need to become, you know, the parents don't need to come running. I mean, every morning, we got a little radio thing in his room, you know, so we can hear him and he can hear, you know, we let, when we press the button, he can hear us, but we can hear him all the time, you know. And uh, every morning he wakes up, he rolls over and he goes, Mama! Mama! Mama, I need you in here. And I, I'm not joking. Every stinking morning, okay? And like, if Mama gets to the radio, she goes, okay, I'll be in in a second. If I get to the radio first, I'm like, Brandon, what do you need? Get up, bring your blanket, come on in here. You know, but Mama's like, I'll be in there, you know. Now, I'm not ragging on Mama. She's been a great mom, okay? I'm being the little harsher dad, you know, the little disciplinarian. Like, we don't need to come in every time you say our name, you know. Come find us. We, you, we, it's not a saving, in, you know, thing. The gospel writers are very clear on this issue also. Jesus is the only one who can save. Peter says it like this in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may, or we must be saved. Salvation is a powerful process. And I tell you, for these people out there going, well, as long as you just believe, just believe anything, it's okay. I'm sorry. The Word of God teaches us Jesus is the only name under the heavens that we can be saved by. So don't get tricked into this, this worldly thought that, that, you know, as long as you believe in something, it's okay. That's not how it works. It's a powerful process. Remember back in Romans 1, Paul says, Romans 1:16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So it's very powerful. And here in Romans 10, Paul is saying, that his people would come around also. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Wow, that's a huge statement. So this Jews have this all-consuming passion for God, a focus that is on God. So Paul says... Not according to knowledge. They have zeal, but they have no knowledge. They don't really know God. They miss God when he showed up, when he came. He came and walked among them. He came and taught into their temples. He went to the synagogue every Sunday. This is God going to church. Why does God need to go to church? I don't understand that. But every Sunday he would go into the synagogue and he would teach the people are every, I say Sunday because we're so used to Sunday. Every Saturday, they meet on Saturdays, okay? The reason why we meet on Sundays is why? Anyone? Resurrection. You know, people are like, oh, you're, you're meeting on the wrong day. No, the early church started meeting on Sunday because it was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, okay? The Jews meet on Saturday because that was their Sabbath. It's okay either way. You can praise God any day, Okay? But they have the zeal that is there that is for God. The word zeal means all-consuming passion. That something that's driving you. Zeal is an obsession. And I know I talk about my kids all the time, but, but it's a way for me to, to kind of relate to God. And, and I talk about myself because I want you to see how God relates to me and my family so, so you guys can you know, maybe uh, figure out how does God relate to you, okay? But my son Brandon, he has a zeal for this particular flashlight. Unfortunately, he's at the stage that any commercial he sees, if they say it's the best, guess what? It's the best. We went by the store and he goes, oh, that's where they sell such and such pillows. Those pillows are the best pillows. I'm like, what? (laughs) He saw it on a commercial. Man, but but the, he, is, he he saw this commercial he believes it that you can run over this flashlight with a truck and it will still work. You can put it in the free. You all know what commercial I'm talking about, right? You put it in the freezer and you chip away the ice, which is funny because they have a hole. If you looked at the commercial, the flashlight's in a hole. You know, I don't know if they actually froze it, but anyway. But you know, I mean, he wants that. He has a zeal, this all-consuming passion for this flashlight. When our friend, uh, Lisa's friend Michelle, I I say our friend too. I mean, in college and stuff, we became friends too. But when her, when she was in town, he saw this commercial and he looks over to Michelle and says, "I don't think my dad understands how badly I need and I want this flashlight." Friends, that is what zeal is right there, okay? It's the opposite of being half-hearted. Zeal is an important thing in life. Sometimes we need to have a little more zeal, you know what I'm saying? A little more passion. I would love to see us have a little more passion, a little more zeal in in our response to God as we worship, okay? But zeal cannot get you to heaven. It's an important and necessary factor. You should be zealous, but you have to be zealous about the right thing. Because I tell you, you can be misguided, you can be misinformed, you can have uneducated zeal, and it's actually worse for people than to have no zeal at all. You need to be driven by the right thing and for the right thing and toward the right thing because mis- misguided zeal takes you, you know, further from the truth and it makes it harder to turn around and say I've been a zealot all my life for things and now I've discovered that I'm wrong and that's the position the Jews were in. They, if they did that, they would go, man, my, my whole life has been a waste. It's very difficult for the Jews to turn around and say this. And Paul says, no, no, no. It wasn't a waste. Just turn around and see Jesus and see how Jesus relates to God, and it'll all come together for you. This is true in all walks of life. Say you wanted to take a boat to, I don't know, say Hawaii. It's a great place to take a boat to, right? You know it's in the Pacific Ocean. Good thing. So you go drive to Morro Bay, and you rent a boat, and you just take off. Now, that is great zeal. That's a great desire. I'm not going to fault you for a desire of wanting to go to Hawaii, you know. But that's also without any common sense. How much fuel do you need? Oh, I don't know. I know it's out there. I'm headed that way. Would well, you know exactly what direction to go? Because Hawaii's a little further south than what we are. Did you know that? Maybe not. It's nearer to the equator. Do you know if there are any storms? A couple of weeks ago, there were three different hurricanes going toward Hawaii. Now, they all kind of glance off to the north, thankfully, because I don't want my place destroyed that I love. <laughs> oh, wait, did I say that out loud? Okay, anyway. But, you know, how far is it? Do you have enough food? I mean, I could go on and on. Zeal without knowledge is just downright messed up. We have a zeal for sinful things. Our mind says this is right and good. I have a desire. I should meet that desire. But then that desire sometimes takes us down that path that is destructive. And you end up further away than than you intended to be because you were gun-ho on the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul says, my people are like this. They have zeal without the knowledge. When you buy a house or you live in an apartment, you take for granted that the builder had zeal and knowledge. You don't go, I hope my builder was happy the day he put up this stud in my house. You could care less whether the builder was happy or sad. You just want to make sure they had a zeal, a passion for doing the job right. Did he build it according to the building code or not? That's important. When you go to the pharmacy, we don't look at the pharmacist and go, Man, I'm looking for somebody who's really happy about putting pills in a bottle and selling them. No. We want somebody who puts the right pills in the right bottle and follows the doctor's direction and explains it to us what's going to happen. We look for that big certificate on the wall, you know, that says they know what they're doing. We take grace into a heart specialist. And our doctor is a great doctor. In fact, she said with all this mess that's going on with Tulare Hospital, you know, my wife and I are like going, if anything ever happens, if I sell you, if I sell you, if I sell you, you know? I mean, that's kind of how a lot of people feel. But she says, guess what? She's hoping to start a children's clinic right here in Tulare because so many doctors have taken off. She's looking at us going, hey, there's a good opportunity here. And she's a great heart doctor, and we're like, Well, that'd be the only reason why we go to Tulare Hospital. You know what I'm saying? And Maybe not, but I'm just saying they need better, you know, that's a good thing. But we take him to a great doctor. She could have recommended surgery for Grayson, I mean, literally within three months of his birth. But she took a different approach. Let's wait and see. We get an echocardiogram every three months, and luckily our insurance pays for it. We're very happy about that. But she is very zealous for children, and specifically heart problems. She is zealous for the healing process, but she has immense knowledge in that. She has been trained at Stanford. She has, you know, this is a good thing. Imagine us just taking them down to somebody and go, hey, will you check out his heart? And they'll just put on, sounds good to me. I mean, they can be zealous for children, but without the knowledge. You you get my point. I'm kind of beating the dead horse, right? This is the same, and this is true for our faith. It is not enough to be moving in a faith direction. It's not enough just to believe in something. It's not enough. You've got to believe in the right thing. I mean, we all have faith in something. The idea of us saying we'll just believe in something, it matters what we believe. Our zeal has to be attached. To the truth. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, no wonder why they didn't really like Paul that much, you know? I mean, he, he had a lot of zeal when he, before he met Jesus. I tell you. He was out there killing Christians. But three things here. One, they were ignorant of God's righteousness. Ouch! Ouch. They had had all these rules from 189 pages of the first five books of the Bible. Well, I mean, it's about 189 pages depending on the font size, but you get my point. But they, you know, for Paul to say you were ignorant of God's righteousness, I mean, that was just like a stab in the heart. So therefore, what did they do? They tried to establish their own. Well, I think this is good. I think this is bad. Well, you could go, you know, Joshua could go, well, I believe this is good and that is bad. And I don't care that you believe that something else. You see, that's why it's important for us to have the foundation. We all know what's true. We all know what's... Because, because we can all make up our own truth. That's not a good thing. And thirdly, it says they did not submit to God's righteousness. These are people who followed the law, who would do cleaning rituals before they would go down and give a sacrifice, who would do certain things before meals to make sure that they wouldn't break any laws, who would never, meet, never eat with a non-Jewish person, because that would be breaking their rules. Don't tell me I don't have righteousness and I didn't submit to God's righteousness. That's what Paul's saying to them. They're like, well, Paul, what are you trying to say? And Paul's just telling them the truth, and he's pointing them to the truth. Verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ fulfills the law the Old Testament law is a wonderful thing. It lays out the requirements that have to be fulfilled for us to be able to get to God. Okay? Paul says Christ fulfills that and he satisfies every one of those laws. So therefore, if we believe in Christ, we fulfill that law and we can get to God. Does that make sense? That means we have access to God, not because we're so good. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just so good. No, none of us are. I mean, we go back to Romans and we go. You know, we read Romans and we we get to Romans three or one through three, and we're just chapters one, two, and three, and we're just like, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. This is how we are. And he says, "But Christ, Christ died for our sins. We have access." Christ even said it himself, which of you can condemn me of my sin? That's what he said to them. In the Torah, you have 613 uh, regulations. The Torah is what's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, and it has great purpose. It shows the character of God. It sets a very high standard that only Christ can fulfill. Paul says, here's the deal. Now that Christ has come, things have changed because Christ fulfills the law. There's no need for the temple. This is why shortly after uh, this in 70 AD, shortly after uh, Paul writes this, the temple literally is destroyed and, and, you know, and, and things can still be okay because we don't need the temple because there's no need for the sacrifice. You know, it's a temporary form of atonement that they really received once a year. Once a year, they all got together and they all had this big party and they felt great for a day or half a day or a quarter day, however long they could go without sinning because they were totally pure at that point because the sacrifice had been made. The Old Testament law is fulfilled through Christ. Therefore, we don't have to do that. Now, do we throw out the law? Some people would like to. No, we don't. It's still a good standard. We try to live up to these great standards, knowing that we we cannot be perfect, knowing that we're not going to fulfill that law. And the blood of Jesus covers us when we fall short. We don't do these things to earn righteousness or to prove ourselves. We do these things in order to express our love to God. There are certain things I do um, around the house? Or there are there certain things I do just for Lisa because I express my love for her? Now, she probably wishes I would do more, okay, especially around the kitchen or something, you know. But I'm just saying, there's certain, th- there certain things we do as Christians to express our love to God. We don't do it to earn righteousness. It's a form of worship. It's a form of bearing fruit. We don't redo what Christ has already done. So Paul says, if you want to live according to a a righteousness, here is how. Verse 5, Moses wrote about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. So if you want to reject Christ and earn salvation, you need to follow the, the 613 laws. You should know them by heart if you're going to please God, okay? Because if you break the law, you're not pleasing God. You see what I'm saying? Six hundred thirteen laws and one hundred eighty-nine pages, and if you break any of them, as soon as you do, you would need to get to the temple to give an animal sacrifice. But wait a second, there's no temple. How do you how do you pay for that sin? Well, I guess we do it in our backyard. We smoke some meat. I don't know. I'm just. No, we can't do that, because according to the regulations, you have to go to the temple. You're out of luck. You say, no fair, no temple, how can I? And this is why God took the temple away, because he didn't want them to rely on it any longer. This is like Brandon in a snorkel mask. As soon as he could figure out that he could breathe through it, I mean, you know, Swimming lessons, I don't need no stinking swimming lessons anymore. He's out swimming like you wouldn't believe. He just took off with that snorkel mask when when we went there. When we figure out that we don't have to earn righteousness, wow, that burden is taken off our shoulders and we just take off. The law is, you know, trying to snorkel without a mask. Is that very effective? (laughs) I can tell you it's not, Okay. You can't do it, you know. Snorkel without fins. You, can, you swim a little bit. You're not going to be swimming a lot, you know. The Jewish Torah, like I said, it's about 189 pages. Later, the Jewish scholars took the Torah and wrote what they called the Midrash. It's an interpretation of each phrase and each word so that you would understand what you need to know in order to be pleasing to God. We would all go, that sounds sounds good that m- makes sense then the midrash they added the oral law that was passed down and this is stuff that wasn't even in the Torah this is just what guys really thought you know and they, they, they created what's called the Mishnah and, and you know there's going to be a test on this later so I am hope you're taking notes um, okay maybe oh, well that second joke that didn't go over that well to the Mishnah, they added the Gemara, okay? Which is more analysis and more commentary. And before they're done, the 189 pages of the Torah has evolved into over 6,000 pages. 37 different volumes called the Talmud, or the Talmud, or however, you to, however you want to pronounce it. And this is their, their basic Jewish religious foundation. 6,000 pages that you're supposed to know to be able to please God. Very complicated things. It's impossible to know the whole thing. So how are you going to please God? That's what God was saying. We complicate it. God's like, going, you took 189 pages of me trying to show you my righteousness so you could understand that you're not going to be able to attain my righteousness, and you turn it into 6,000, what are you doing? Paul says you can either try to live up to that Or you can take the righteousness of God that is offered through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings Christ near us. And this is what Paul says, you know, is saying to the Jews. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God brings the word of God, you know, near to us. Some of us understand this. The Bible is very important to us. You know, every time we meet, we bring it or, you know, it's always there. We even write to, to, to you know, even write stuff down to remember things that maybe, uh, maybe the, the guy up front said, you know, or uh, maybe thinking the idiot up front, but I don't know. But, you know, writing stuff down. The Holy Spirit brings the Word of God near to us. This couldn't happen in a group. This couldn't happen individually. For God to say, I am right here and you are not alone so let's just relax a little bit. The Holy Spirit is near you. If you have little kids, you understand this concept because sometimes the kid just wants you near them, right? Bad dream? They want you near them. Upset? They want you near them. They don't care what you're doing, they just want you there. The Holy Spirit is near us. If you declare with your mouth, Verse 9. Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. and It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. This is how simple it is. Jesus came to make it simple for us. Simple to understand, simple to confess, simple to follow. But what we do with it is we complicate it. Well, God's trying to simplify it. If you confess, if you declare, if you spill your guts, however you want to say it, and you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. the heart is where you believe. The heart is where you truly believe. It's where you're justified, it's where you're made clean, it's where you're made whole. So if you confess with your mouth that you are saved, you go into this world and you say, guess what? I am a Christian. By my decisions that I make, by the things that I talk about, by the things that I see, by the things that I hear, I am a Christian. Now, the world wants to put to shame your beliefs, but Paul teaches us right here in verse 11 anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now, when someone say, comes to you and says, Well, what do I do to, to be saved? You know, most of us go, uh, Wait a second. Pastor, what do I say to him? But it's simple. It's good to know the Roman road. It's good to know those, those different things, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. But it boils down to this. Profess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That is it. What do I confess? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you confess. You, you say he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He, he was raised from the dead. He was, he was, the you know, or what do I believe? He was raised from the dead. So you confess that he's Lord, and you believe that he is God. It's that simple. It has to be that. Why? Because we're human beings. If I go to the store, and Lisa has three things that she wants me to get, I have to write them down on my phone. I used to have paper and pen, you know what I'm saying? If it's more than two things, I have to write it down, because I will go to the store, and I will grab two of them, and I'll go, I'm done. I'll just leave. I'll forget about it. So the Lord gives us two things. Two things. What are they? Confess with our mouth. It leaves no ambiguity, ambiguity. I can't even say the word. I can write it. Can't say it. You see, even the demons believe, but they won't confess it. They know that he's God. Why? They're fallen angels. They know who God is. They know who the Son of God is. The Son of God, Jesus, was there from, from the beginning of time. He was not a created being, okay? They know it. They won't confess it. It's that simple. It has to be. Believe in a heart. Why do we believe in our heart and not our head? Well, your head is where you reason, it's where you logic. Your heart is where you truly, truly believe. It's hard to argue with somebody, you know, argue someone into the kingdom. It's been done. It's been tried. At Easter, we'll talk about the hundreds of people who saw Christ, uh, saw that He was resurrected. Uh, and, and many of those people would come and, and, and they would accept Christ, but many of them wouldn't. And they even saw it. Logically versus your being, your Your heart. You can believe with your head, but that's different than believing with your heart. You know, many of these people were tortured, and they they didn't they didn't recant. Uh, We're going to talk about some of those in the the Wednesday night study, like Polycarp and some others that uh, that literally went to the Roman arena and were crucified or were eaten by lions or other stuff because they wouldn't recant. They said, no, I know what I believe. Today, the same thing happens in Iraq and Iran and different places. And they're going, no, I know what I believe and I'm not going to recant. Many of them are getting their heads cut off. What would you say if that started happening right here in Tulare? Hmm. Logically, I can make it reasonable for you to recognize Christ, but you have to follow him with your heart. See, following is a relationship. At the altar, you don't say, I give you my mind. No, at the altar, you say, I give you my heart. We don't reason it out. I didn't go to Lisa and go, I have determined, you are the best spouse for me. It was close between you and Susie, but you won out. Now, there's no Susie in my past, so don't think, okay. No, it's with your heart. This is where the love comes from. This is your being. It is the same with the Lord. We have to allow people to have faith in God. I can take people to the high dive and show them that water's in the pool, but they have to take the step off the board. Brandon now, I mean, he was in the... in the, We call it the hot tub, but during the summer it's the cold tub, you know? And uh, he was holding his breath under the water, and he comes out and he tells Lisa, I'm ready to jump off the diving board into the deep end now. And Lisa's thinking, well, I'm glad you are. I'm not ready for you to do that, you know? But, uh, you know, we... we we can only take them so far. We can't make them jump off the board. You have to take the jump. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. The world will try to shame you. If you watch the news, the world will try to shame you into what you believe. And you're not wrong to believe in Christ, but some people believe that you are wrong. But the decision has been made and it has to be made. Do I care more about what people out there in the world say and how they view me? Or do I walk down the aisle and I marry Christ? See, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. You have heard the Word of God today. And Paul says, Now's the day of salvation. It's that simple. Now, we don't do altar calls. We, you know, a lot of times we don't do altar calls every week or anything like that. You know, I grew up where, man, I can't tell you, I could, I could sing in my sleep the words to just as I am, okay? Uh, some of you older folks know what I'm talking about. Some of you younger folks are going, what? What's that song? What are you talking about? There's a song that was saying at the end of every Southern Baptist service, you know, come down and, and, and come to Christ. But it's simple. Does anyone here today need to confess their faith? That you're believing with your mind, but you haven't transitioned to your heart. Because now is the time. Anyone want to raise their hand and say that that's that's me. I confess with my mouth, maybe in the past, but I haven't believed in my heart. Excellent. Anyone else? Well, praise the Lord, brother. I tell you. I've been hoping. I've been praying for you. It's one thing to confess with our mouth, it's another thing to believe and we need to believe. Why don't we have a couple of people stand, lay their hands on him, and we're going to pray and end the service today. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for my brother Joel. I thank you that uh, he's come to the point where he says, you know what, I truly believe. I need to confess this. I need to believe in my heart. You're so accepting of who we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter how many mistakes that we've made in this life there comes a point where your glory your blood covers us and God sees us as pure and acceptable I pray for my brother Joel that as he goes on in this life that when he makes mistakes he turns around and comes back towards you that life is not easy as a Christian the tough times aren't over but at the same time, Lord, I pray that you put joy into his life, that you show him the path, the path that you want him on for this life, and that he would go that direction. And I pray for others that are out there, Lord, that need to come hear your voice, that we would be the tool, that we would be the object that you would use out there in this world to lead them to your spirit, to lead them to Jesus that they would confess and believe. Now the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May His face never turn from you. May you believe in Him always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.